Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. The Farewell, written and directed by Lulu Wang, 2019. A Chinese-American woman warily agrees to follow her family's lead and not divulge her grandmother's terminal diagnosis, as they all gather for the first time in 25 years. Thank you so much for joining us for our seventh episode of Season 2, Crow Talk, Film Squawk. Cassidy? Hi. Stacy. Hello. Rochelle. <laughs> Hi. So you know what makes this episode really special? What? It's our first sponsored episode. Oh, Let's talk about that for a second. We need to do a plug as per the agreement for sponsorship. No big deal, everyone in the internet world out there. <laughs> We've got a sponsor and now it's time for the plug. The Pickford Film Center Woo! is the sponsor of this episode, The Farewell. Have you been to the Pickford Film Center? Because it's awesome. Why is it so awesome? You can enjoy a meal. You can enjoy snacks. You can enjoy great company. You can enjoy great film. I love the sound of that. And you know what else? What? They're really supportive of our local film community. So thanks, You're Pickford, right. for all you do. Thank you, Pickford. I'm sure we have some yays, and I'm sure we have some nays for the farewell. So let's start with yays. Rochelle? Well, my yay. I never start. This is I fun. I know. I don't have mine. I'm <laughs> stalling. My yay is that this film made China seem absolutely approachable. Uh, I felt comfortable in the depicted dwelling spaces, the homes, uh, even the hospital, in a way that I have, I've never felt that, that way before, uh, specifically uh, in regards to China. I'm, I'm daunted most of the time. Um, same with Japan. I, I just feel, I feel daunted um, trying to take in this culture through, through the screen. And Wang made it extremely accessible for me. And also, I think that a, a huge component of my comfort um, was the actor who portrayed Nai Nai. I mean, she she welcomed us in. She really she she took she took the cake. She stole the scenes. She was perfect. She's my yay. I have so many yays, um, but my yay is very similar to yours, Rochelle. Um, Go see this movie if you want to experience authentic Chinese cultural norms from an outsider's perspective that ends up asking the universal question, what does authentic love look like? What love does to us, how it complicates the truth, um, and how something that seems so foreign to me ends up being so relatable. Good yay. Good yay. My yay is that, like, I feel like this movie used comedy in the exact way that comedy was meant to be used, in the sense that it took, like, the hardest subject matter, probably, or one of the hard hardest subjects, death, and would immediately, the way it was crafted, I feel like something very, very sad and sentimental and touching would happen, and then immediately after a joke would happen and not necessarily like a character would de deliver a joke, but the craft of the film and the types of shots that they were depicting. And I guess just the uncanny nature of family and like those strange dynamics that do become funny when you understand them. Um, I don't, I feel like I'm mumbling now, but it just, I would like so many times throughout the film, I was crying, like wet face crying and then would start laughing 
really hard. So it looked like I was like sobbing my face off, but <laughs> I was crying and then would laugh. It was crazy. I've never, ever had that happen. And it happened like five times throughout the film where I was crying and then laughing like really hard, like a belly punch laugh. Just so good. I think it's one of my favorite movies I've ever, ever experienced. All right. So following such incredible praise, nays, reasons uh, an, an individual potentially would not seek out the farewell. That is so tricky. Rochelle, what's your name? I spent the majority of the film feeling disconnected to Aquafina's portrayal of Billy. I think my nay, I don't have a reason for people not to see it, but I guess a criticism I have would be uh, I wanted a little more backstory on some of the family members. Um, the cousin never spoke one word, I think. I realized even in Japanese. How, how? How, how. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting and probably deliberate, but that was something I realized upon reflection. I wanted a little more, or I could have used a little more. We all know what my yay was, so let's just take a second here. <laughs> Maybe you don't have any. I mean, I don't really like I think if I were to give like someone who hasn't seen this movie a nay, it's that it's very emotional. Like it's really it is sad. It's very sad. And so if you've just experienced a death or have like a family member that's not in great health or, you know, it could make it a very hard viewing experience because and I think that goes back to some of that comfort that you felt on screen. Like it's it's very real. I feel like at least for me, I definitely identified with those family feelings of being in a situation like this and, and the closeness and the sadness. So that could be a nay, potentially, if, you know, if you are already grieving or like not in a happier headspace or I don't know, it could just be very, very sad and very like harshly emotional, I think, because it was made with so much heart. So be careful out there, folks. In broad strokes, this film pokes at the question, when is it okay to lie? What makes it okay to lie? What is a good lie? As that sweet doctor believes this, this family lie to not tell Nene she has stage four lung cancer, I believe, uh, and three months to live. We're obviously in spoiler territory here. Oops. <laughs> so when is it okay to lie? I guess I don't have an answer for that, but I really did. It resonated with me what the uncle said, where he said that in China they decide not to tell the person with um, declining health that they had cancer because that allows the family to bear that burden of sadness rather than the person who's already sick, which I thought was it's definitely something that I've been rolling around in my mind, um, and I don't think it's right, and I don't think it's wrong. <laughs> Uh, but it was kind of beautiful. Like, it definitely struck a chord with me. Uh, and I can see why people would lie in this sort of a situation. Because, I mean, like, we've all lied before to people in, like, a nice white lie situation. Like, you know, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> you know? Like, that's no. such a cliche. <laughs> no. So anyway, maybe that's still like bottom line. It's okay to white life. It's like, it's like nice. 
it seems to me it's about values, like cultural values, values that in America we hold. I think that every American would say this is not okay. This is um, unkind even, you know. Um, and over there, uh, it's about your family and it's about your community. Those are number one. And so I can see why, I mean, even down to the way they practice medicine, <laughs> like this is completely acceptable and this is, this is what kindness looks like. This is what love looks like in China. And it really does resonate with me because I have all sorts of weird baggage around grief and love for my parents. Um, so for me, I was like, oh man, I would do fine with that over in China, maybe. Um, because I do get that and I'm quick to hold other people's emotional burdens or I'm like very willing to do that. And uh, I talked about it in therapy today, hmm. carrying other Bravo. people's emotional baggage. Yeah. Um, because it's one of my big things that in our culture, you want to work on not doing. And I get that. Um, but I don't think it's quite as simple as that, which is what I love about this movie is that it is just asking that question, like, what does love look like for you? This is what it looks like for Lulu Wang's family. And as Billy was the vessel for this this question, very well struck, and I'm sure this is just a direct correlation to Wang's life, as this is totally autobiographical, in that she's a New Yorker, you know, by moving and being there, has become a New Yorker, and that's depicted very well as an Americanized Chinese woman um, grappling with the, you know, the difference between collectivist versus individualistic culture. And, and the extremes of filial piety and what that looks like, respecting one's parents, elders, um, to a fault. Get a lot of that from the uncle. And, and it's woven through in a, it, like I said, a palatable way. It, it, it explains in a not shove it in your face, here's a cliche way. And I really, yeah, I didn't feel any cliches in this execution. And I thought the marriage of Billy's struggle really came, came to the forefront of the story. And it, and it was uh, not fully resolved for me, but I don't think it's an issue that can be. Even ethics uh, are held differently, right? The idea that you don't belong to yourself, you belong to to a whole, to a group, to the community, uh, specifically as depicted in this film set in China. Whereas here in the States, obviously you belong to yourself and you have autonomy. And for someone to rob you of your autonomy is an injustice. The exact opposite is very hard to hold. Mm -hmm. as an American. It's been nice over the last year, and I think this is a little specific to me, but seeing Crazy Rich Asians, and then Stacy and I had the opportunity this last year at the Cascadia Women's Film Festival, woo-woo, go, it's awesome, to see China Love, which is a documentary about um, pre-wedding photography in China, but it covers a lot of like their cultural um, traditions when it pertaining to marriage. Um, and I've really been enjoying that this past year. Like it, it did make this film almost feel a little bit more familiar. Cause I have like, and this is a weird tangent, I guess I'm going off on now, but, um, it's been really cool to see 
stories about China. I want stories about other cultures like this too. Um, that was a weird tangent. No, it was I just great think, because Yay, stories on China. And that's all. Well, but what's exciting about that is that a lot of those traditions were imbued into this film, and you get a piece of that, and it's obviously at a different scale than Crazy Rich Asians, and it doesn't have the documentary feel of China Love. Uh, and ultimately, in this story, there's an inversion, right, where the bride and groom should be the focal point, but they are recessed to the background in this film so that a different story can emerge, uh, which is essentially collectivist mentality. Yeah. A group story emerges as the individual story retreats. I really appreciated that inversion. Yeah, yeah, it was so rich, the different stories happening um, in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, the story of filial duty, the, the brothers letting down their mother not being by her side. Like, that was huge. I felt that. Yes. Um, and you could really feel that that was a big deal. And they both let her down on that front. Um, food. The the importance of food. Food was at the center of each gathering. Um, Nai Nai breaks down when she can't have lobster. You know, it's, it's everything. Um, there was so much subtext going on about family. And how it works there without, like you said, having to shove it in our face. Yeah, it was like you felt like you're a member of this family. Like, I just felt like I instantly settled into all their weird nuances and quirks that they each had. It's like, yeah, this is exactly what it feels like to be at one of my family gatherings, too. I don't know how they achieved that, but they really nailed it. I read this article from the Huff Post about films that have been coming out that look at how we process grief. And on that list was this film, Midsummer, 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 The Nightingale, which is yet to come, mm-hmm. and then The Babadook before that. And that is a really interesting trend that these movies that talk about grief are primarily driven by women. I thought that was really interesting. It is really interesting. And I think that that is showcased obviously in this film since it's a, it's a primary theme the different ways that we handle, nurture, and navigate grief and loss and death. And that's why I think I appreciated the fact that we got to see these two sons really having to face their choices and you get some really specific conversations um, around the dinner table um, when everyone is heralding the importance of China and being Chinese and roots. And then you look around and everyone essentially, except for Nai Nai, has or is seeking a different culture to fulfill some aspect of their life. And there's Nai Nai just smiling away. And you never really know um, the grief that she holds. You never really know the pain that she holds. And, of course, we're not getting her pain over her diagnosis because she doesn't know it. So there's so many undercurrents uh, that aren't tapped. And that, for me, was well encased in the comedy. But I do 
I do wonder about embarking on these autobiographical stories if you're not willing to go all the way with the topic. And that's how I felt watching this film. Because Nainai is still alive and because Nainai would visit the set and they had to hide what the film's about, she still does not know that she has cancer. What the f- Brick. So and I didn't know that because I didn't do my research. Wow. <laughs> so she's still alive. She's still alive uh-huh. and she visited the set. And Lulu Wang told her that it's a film that's just loosely based on their family. And has she seen the film? No. Well, it's not released yet in China though. It, they have, I guess, cut a trailer in Chinese. And so I, I watched this video, I think it was through Variety that where Lulu is Figure, trying to figure out what to do because it is going to make it over to China. I mean, her intention was to make an American film, you know, so uh, she, I don't think she was thinking about how it could make its way across. Well, and you never know when you embark on these kind of journeys to yeah. like where the production will end up. But And if she whoa. would still be alive. Right. You know what I mean? If they've been expecting it for six years, then it's just like... Well, and the original like basis of this is from the 2016 This American Life episode that Wang uh, did the podcast of for this for this exact story. And this was an offshoot, a broadening. And that's not going to make its way to China. Uh, and that was multiple years ago. So I guess in a couple of the articles I read, they, they addressed this and Wang said that she, they don't know how they're going to yeah, they don't have talk a plan. to her about it or how they're going to talk to her about the film or she's been asking to see it. When can she see it? So I felt that in the film before I even did research, I felt like a step back. Uh, I didn't have a problem with the final shot showing Nai Nai alive um, in the home video at the very end. I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, a lot of uh, critics have poo pooed that final shot. Uh, They just didn't want that. They didn't need it. But I think because it kept, it drew drew you back into the autobiographical nature of it. And though, whereas films like The Tale, like literally go all the way in because what she's dealing with for the most part is her own trauma, just like collectivist culture is expressed in this film, the group comes first. The family comes first in Wing's rendering of this story. And though it fits with the story, it it definitely left me without the full impact uh, personally. But how could she leave you with that impact? Because Nai Nai is still alive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if it's autobiographical, like, I guess for me, the impact was that journey. I've literally, and my grandma's still alive, and I've done the same thing where she's not in great health and I traveled to see her and it was going to be the last time I saw her. I, it, what it is, it is currently the last time I've seen her. She's still alive, but I haven't seen her again. And so what I really connected with, which I feel like was really understated and very, very subtly done was the trying to keep your shit together the entire time. And I think that's where I was like laughing a lot too. Uh, the way that the whole family, like something tense would be brought up at the dinner table and everyone starts shoving food in their face or, yeah, and for me, that journey of just the trip and going and having to hold your shit together and, like, not feeling like you're a part of things but knowing everybody, you know, um, I think they nailed that 
Um, and I could see maybe if you're wanting like the death impact or something at the or like something more to kind of finalize it. It makes sense to me that you wouldn't get it if Nine is still alive in real life, which I'm just finding out in this podcast. So I don't know, but I really think they did a great job just like portraying that bottling um, anxiety because that's really it is really hard. And, and I actually did appreciate them showing her coming back into her apartment at the end and like setting her bags down because it's like you go on this journey and you're holding your shit together and trying to be like dignified for a member of your family and then you come back and like nothing's changed at your house you know it's weird um so like the journey through death and the anticipation of saying goodbye to someone I it definitely struck a chord with me like I really identified with it a lot but I think it was really understated and I might just be like projecting my own experience into that it was very Chinese right probably like the comedy, the device of comedy was in a way protecting us from having to carry the burden. We became nine hey. in a way. Um, because I see your point about um, it didn't dive in and investigate it, but I think I'm I think I'm in the middle of you two. Um, because for me, there were moments throughout the film that I felt nine I knew. Something was oh, up. Yeah, and especially since she did the same thing to her husband, she already knows that they're going to lie to her. Everybody already knows this. So when I, I, I had that realization at one point, and it was, I think it was when she was adamant about getting her next set of test results. Um, I was like, she knows. I thought she knew. Yeah. I thought at the she end when she cried knows. when Billy was leaving, I thought she was crying because she knew. That's the last yeah. time she's going right. to see her granddaughter. I really and thought so she knew. For me, I was there emotionally, or I do, I do feel like it took the dive. It just was a, a dive into a culture that I don't understand or that is not American at all. And, and I don't want to say that Americans dive more thoroughly. It's just a different it's a different stroke. It's a different way of swimming in that. Used um, to the dive into the individual. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that's what I was missing. Mm-hmm. Everything was broad strokes for me. And so I couldn't connect to these individuals mm-hmm. the way that I normally do and the way that mm-hmm. I wanted to. Interesting. Except for, for Nai Nai. Probably because I felt like I knew her the best. I don't know why I thought that. But that was my perception coming out of it. Because uh, I, yeah, I'm all I'm a character-driven individual when I'm when I'm absorbing story, and though the impact of something paralleling or Im- that's imbued with your own experience, I mean, there's nothing that compares to that. I mean, that is so fierce and strong, and I'm a nostalgia junkie. Um, it's not exactly the same thing, but I that is that is incredibly powerful, and for me. A, Additionally, that the character, the depth of characters is super important to me in my investment in a film. And so I think that that was where I, I got hung up for me. Because uh, so. that's I totally that. understandable. Like I, now that you're saying that, like I never, I didn't register that at first glance with the film at all. I was just like, this was the best. Um, but it probably but fits the film. It mean. fits it because you're supposed to be focused on the group. And so I get that. And that uh, in its own way is, is evocative. And probably not even that you're supposed to be, but that's just their focus. Right, that's right. like the filmmaker's focus. Mm-hmm. And I listened to that podcast from um, This American Life 
2016. And she had she did some recording when she went back to China. And she verbatim wrote down what she recorded, like the drinking game that they play. She oh my recorded, God, I that. they played that drinking game. She played that with her grandmother. It was one of my favorite scenes. Oh, hands down. I mean, I have so many, but it was so, she just, she really didn't have to invent much, like especially the really funny parts, like uh, Nai calling her a stupid child. That's a term <laughs> of endearment in China. Right. And so all of these things that were like, ha ha ha, I wonder if this is invented to make an American audience laugh. It's like, nope, this is my family. This is my culture. Oh, and I didn't feel that at all. Like to me, all the belly laughs are like the weirdness of your family and understanding just strange nuances about people. And it's usually uncomfortable. So maybe that's why it makes it easier to laugh at when it's like a different family story or in hindsight. Um, but those were all the laughs for me. It was just like strange isms of people that you happen to like know for your entire life because you're related to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even feel like it was like Chinese humor. I don't know. It was just so humanly Not relatable. Right. I, I guess I just mean that she didn't have to invent anything. Her grandmother didn't like um, how 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 how's bride the the his China his Japanese girlfriend like all of these things already existed, you know, so it really is just a bunch of facts that she just laid out on the table. And for me, for like Aquafina's character, I almost feel like part of her character like was the camera. Does that make sense? Like, so all of this observation that's going on, like, was Aquafina kind of mm. doing it as well? Or, like, one scene that struck me really hard was when she stopped. They were, like, leaving a family dinner at the hotel, and she stopped and, like, watched a guy with, like, probably some sex workers playing Mahjong, mm-hmm. and, you know, and just made, like, a s- tiny little observation. But I don't know. That's just so, like, what it feels like to visit family for me. So I wonder if, like, part of... The explanation of like what's going on in the inner workings Mm -hmm. for Billy's character was more of just like what you were seeing because she was right in the middle of all of it. And inundated. Mm -hmm. She hadn't been to China in so long. Yeah. Yeah. And she was just trying to keep her shit together. So she was very quiet the whole time too, you know, just like observing her family. But and I go, I don't know, again, like I think I'm just identifying with it really hard because when you're far away from family for a long time and they get thrown back into that mix, it is a lot of just like observing. Mm -hmm. And like putting yourself like way in the background, like you just take a back seat and you're like, okay, this is about the group, I guess. But anyway. And I I felt that fly on the wall excitement when they were honoring their grandfather, the ceremony in the cer- in the cemetery, and it was it was beautiful. And Nai Nai's prayers killed me, and the I bowing was fantastic. I, like, I laughed during the bowing, and then I was <laughs> I like, "That is terrible." To. I know, but it's like what the, I'm sure culturally that's what they do. And so I like busted too. I wasn't like giggling during this. I was like, "Pop!" Like, I was like <laughs> busting out. <laughs> it's inappropriate. Well, everyone had a distinct and different bow, and I I think that's. One aspect of Aiko, I really enjoyed the Japanese fiance. It's just yeah, her working she, to navigate oh this. She was working to navigate it so hard. She oh. really shined brightly she during the fantastic. <laughs> Very Japanese bows. You could see the difference. Uh-huh. So cool. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I really loved this film a lot. And it, the, that scene points to the 
such a difference in cultural handling of, of death. You know, we talked a lot about the cultural handling of life and just how we can navigate ethics and lies and choices and family so differently, but also how in America we have absolutely no tools for navigating death and we push it so far away. Um, yeah, it's like illegal to see a dead body here unless you're related to it or like in the medical field. Yeah. I read a book about it once. Don't ask me what it was, but it said it in the book I read. <laughs> Millennial. Fact check that, internet. <laughs> I also wonder, too, in China, and this is just something that's been rolling around in my mind as we've been talking, but I wonder if they do have longer periods of people that are, like, terminal with illness where they're living longer, like the longevity is possibly. What a great question. In China, I wish someone would research that. When you think about, like, I mean, I've listened to some stuff on placebo research and all of that. And I mean, it's effective, or even like opposite placebo, where they like accidentally give a patient who's pretty healthy the wrong test results and then that person will pass away. So I wonder if in China, too, like, just something to think about, everybody. Well, yeah, the, the, the saying when people in China get cancer, they die. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it's there's the broader there's the broader statement there, right? It's like there's something inside that dies, and before the physical body dies. Yes. Well, and it, so then, if that's true, then the opposite, like if you don't get cancer, if you don't know you have right. cancer, then you don't die. Well, that's what I'm saying about Nai Nai. Like she's still alive because she doesn't have cancer, so right. it's like terminal cancer. Sorry, I'm gonna live like another who knows decade, right. whatever. I was wow. actually looking for. Um, articles talking about this, like the power of positive thinking and what joy does to your body. Um, and I'm surprised that no one, I can't find anything regarding oh, really? that question. There's yeah. a lot. Um, no, no, no. In regards to the farewell, like oh, looking the at the farewell, like... looking at the farewell <laughs> as far as like, yeah, does, does she, uh, well, I'm sorry. There was one person that, that's, that's talked about this and it was Lil Nai Nai. Nainai, in real life, her older sister, who actually plays her older sister in the film. That's, That's really her? Lulu's great aunt. Oh, my God. I love her so much. And I just got um, like a chill from that. That woman. But, so she still does not want to tell her and because she, she believes that this is the reason she's still alive is because she lied to her. So, yeah, I think that is a really valid question. Well, and, and it also makes you wonder in this situation or in other situations in more in broader terms, if because of the collectivist nature and decisions made as a group for the group, if individuals in China are easier, they find it easier to hold the unknown. Oh, I'm sure. Versus yeah. everyone clamoring to know and be right and control their lives, their individual lives here in the States and vice grip know everything, figure it out, beat it out of you if you have to kind of mentality. Well, that's that's absent in what we just viewed. And if Nai Nai does know in some realm of her mind, if she has an inkling or an idea, but she's confident and comfortable enough to like hold that for far enough away, her terror management can can heal that because she's utilizing her cultural belief system. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. Again, like, I don't think it's right, but I don't think it's wrong. Well, it's like, hard. what's going on? I can't right. tell. 
I kind of like it. <laughs> it's hard because I know everyone at this table loves truth oh, and yeah. everyone at this table loves joy. Yes. And so these <laughs> things get really woven and really sticky here because we can't have this beautiful joy without this lie. So then we're sacrificing the truth. And what does that mean for joy? It's, I really love it. I really love sitting in that question. And, and the, yeah, I, I don't think have that an the, answer. Well, yeah, and, and how it ends too, Except I feel let's like. let's start lying to all the old people here in the United States. I mean, see what happens. See if maybe more of them. Well, that's the thing. It's so socially ingrained. I mean, we push death away, right? And if we were to lie, we'd have to pull it closer, which mm -hmm. is, I, I think, the one of my favorite messages of the film. It's, it's just an acceptance that we, we refuse to pull it closer mm -hmm. unless we're watching horror films mm -hmm. or dabbling in some other capacity. We're just like gobbling all the true crime possible <laughs> ever. Exactly. Like, Americans well, like Because we won't talk up. about death. So we're like fascinated yeah, by it problems mm -hmm. totally instead of celebrating life even after death mm -hmm. there are missing people out. <laughs> that are talking about it though so there is there are people out there that are talking about death in our culture and i think trying to make that conversation more mainstream and there's this woman that we follow on instagram that i'm currently trying to find her handle um but she's i believe it's called a thanatologist and she studies grief and death and will go in and work. Here, I found her. Her handle is Impiri, I-M-P-E-R-I. Her, her name is Cole Impiri. Um, she's fucking awesome. Yeah, so I found out about her because Jessica Williams, uh, one of the two dope queens, her boyfriend passed away unexpectedly or something. Instagram drama and Jessica's drama. Terrible unexpectedly and so she was grieving hard and on her instagram story showed a pin that was lavender colored and it said like be gentle i'm grieving on it and i was like wow that's so cool what a great idea yeah a way to communicate to your community that you're having a rough time without having to talk about it you know if that were me i would cry if i had to like verbalize something like that so i ordered a pin from her and like thanked her <laughs> Like, this is so cool. Um, so we've corresponded, like, very lightly on Instagram. But she's really, really cool. And she talks about um, shadow grief, which is uh, – or shadow loss, I think is what she calls it. So big loss would be if, like, a family member of yours passed away where shadow loss or shadow grief is, like, if you retire from a job or move houses. Um, so you're still grieving. And the reason that there's lavender on her pin, on her Be Gentle, I'm Grieving pins, is because – and again, I'm so sorry, Cole, if you're listening. I'm like, go to Cole's page, listen to her podcast because she knows. Um, but there were these things called Lavender Days like earlier in the 19th century, maybe even before mm -hmm. that. Um, so when people would grieve, they would wear all black as they were really grieving. But then they would begin to wear like lilac or lavender or something of that hue when they're going back to their normal life, like re-entering oh, wow. the normalcy of life. So then the community was still able to understand like where they are in their fragile. process. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that so cool? I love that so, so much. So I want there to be more people like that because she goes and like talks to corporations and business people, you know, she's like mixing it up in that field. Right. And I was so excited to learn about that. She's like, yes, <laughs> well, America needs this so badly. So anyway, another tangent. From Cassidy, you're welcome. <laughs> Good <laughs> A tangent. great tangent. My gosh. <laughs> so considering death and life and the differences between cultures and how we navigate that, what 
beyond will you take away from this viewing of your favorite film ever, Cassidy? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's such a great question, Rochelle. Thank you for asking. (laughs) I feel like for me, what I'm going to take away is just remembering how fragile life is. Like, it was just a good reminder. Um, And then, yeah, I don't know if there's, like, this messed up part of me, but I do like even in, like, the eye of the hardest thing that's going on in the storm of your life, I really love the honor and the dignity that the Chinese people were, like, bring into that situation. I'm such a weepy person. So I think for me, what I would like as a takeaway, which is more of a personal takeaway, is just like some of that strength that is putting your own grieving aside and being strong for someone who's actually the sick person. Like, I just thought that that really did resonate with me. So taking it away, I'll stop like hogging the podcast. (laughs) It's been beautiful. Hog it any day. A takeaway for me, uh, The biggest takeaway, I have so many. I appreciated this film on so many levels. We didn't even talk about the craft of the film, the soundtrack. Oh my God, the soundtrack. But I think my biggest takeaway was having a little bit of validation as to my behavior towards my family, which is very um, similar to these cultural norms in China as far as wanting to protect the ones I love and I, I totally want to carry their emotional baggage. Um, that's not something I'm not like, yay, I can go do that now. Because <laughs> I don't think that that is healthy and I think it can get really unhealthy. But it's really uh, it's really validating to see that. Um, and it just made me really thoughtful about it. Um, and I'm still kind of unpacking it and processing it. I think I'm going to be doing that for a while. Um, that was my biggest takeaway is seeing a form of grief or like being on the precipice, the precipice of grief and how people cope with it. Similar to me. So that's my takeaway. And I think my takeaway is a hope, just a hope that as I continue to experience film, that I also expand and when I'm not receiving what I'm used to receiving that triggers this is connecting with you this is an excellent film little probes in my brain but I see so much other goodness in front of me that I can take a step back and really challenge what I am expecting based on what I've always been given and based what society my society, American society, has thrust at me, even when it's new and it's exciting because it's new or because it resonates with me deeply, able to step back in something that doesn't necessarily resonate with me personally, but has so many great qualities and is exemplifying a culture I know nothing about, how I can hold that and be more appreciative of the film itself and of the story and of the characters within that story because it's not always about me. I think that's a hope I'm going to carry forward to become better and to look further and deeper and to hold film in a different way every single time I approach it. Yeah. I love Crow Talk for that. I feel like this is seriously like a beautiful exercise in that because, 
you know, we don't always, I don't think we're all always into the films necessarily right. that we're choosing. Um, so I love that takeaway. I'm going to mm-hmm. take a little bit of that away too. Take that American privilege, wrestling it down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Farewell. Farewell. Oh, shoot, I should have looked up how to say goodbye in Chinese. Ho! Ho! Ha! 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 This has been a Talking to Crows production. 